Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. No guest this week, which means more time with my co-host. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. We follow him on Instagram at Fulmer, F-U-L-M-E-R-H-O-U. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Tatimo, the artisan tortilleria and Mexican restaurant concept, has found a dedicated home. It will be leaving the space it currently occupies in Montrose in favor of a permanent location near Carback Brewing Company on Tacoma Street. Michael, let me let me just throw it to you. I mean, we've had uh, Tatsumo's tortillas. We've had some tacos that he's made at pop-ups. Um, it's certainly a, you know, they were nominated for the uh, Culture Map Tastemaker Awards in the best pop-up startup category. So what do you think? Is this the right move for the evolution of this concept? Well, it's really kind of up to them and, and some to some extent to the market forces. They have a very highly specialized item, you know, uh, they're specializing in, you know, nixtamalization of corn and going back to, you know, really sourcing from uh, heirloom, you know, or, you know, origins. Uh, they're very dedicated to the, you know, the veracity of, of the lines, the organic lines. And so, and then on top of it, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a very delicious product, uh, but it's a higher price too. And so, you know, everybody can say, oh, I can get a taco for a buck or two bucks or even three bucks. Um, so will they be offering things that, you know, uh, work within the confines of what they want and within what people are willing to pay? I hope so, because their stuff is delicious. Yeah, I mean, I think you could kind of get a sense of like the more casual stuff because they're talking about doing a weekend brunch service. Uh, they've started selling breakfast items at the Urban Harvest Farmers Market. Yep. And obviously the, you know, the costs are a little different, the setup's a little different, but, you know, I think I, I had, you know, these very fluffy masa pancakes with um, like basically like whipped cream and, and fresh fruit on top. And it was, I don't remember exactly what I paid. Let's say it was about 10 bucks. So, you know, you can, you can kind of do the elevated tasting menu thing. That's, you know, an omakase style meal, a hundred dollars or more. But you can also kind of round out your offerings and, and build a customer base with these, you know, more affordable to go items. They can do tacos, they can do brunch. I think that's a that's an interesting combination, kind of a high low approach that I think could could really set them up for success. Yeah, I think I mean they have good experience in the industry here in Seattle, back in Mexico. I mean, so uh, they're not ignorant of what the market is and you know what they want to do. So uh, I'm excited for them. Yeah, no, me too. And and just to sort of reiterate what you said, right? They, you know, they're making the tortillas in this traditional way using nixtamalized corn. They're importing the corn from Mexico, and it's different breeds of heritage corn. And so, you know, you and I attended that neo dinner that was a collaboration with Tatamo, where, you know, there was an inflatada, there was, a, I, I want to say, there was a quesadilla. You know, different different applications of that use the corn and the tortillas as a base for flavor. And 
you know, just to demonstrate how flexible the concept is, it was paired with this, you know, really ambitious Japanese-inspired tasting menu. So I, I do kind of feel like the sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. I think they have great variance and flexibility. So uh, uh, I think that's a good spot for them, you know, relatively like within the loop area. Yeah, I mean, you know, just outside the loop, right on the border of Spring Branch, near the Heights, uh, you know, Ben Berg has sort of coined that area NOPO uh, for, for North Post Oak. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I joked about calling it Audi Heights after the private school. I think that, that, that may be even a more obscure reference, but uh, whatever you call that, that particular neighborhood, it, it's close to the loop. It's relatively easy to get to. And obviously it hasn't slowed Carbach down in the slightest because it's a very popular brewery and destination. Agreed. All right, let us move on to topic number two, Steakhouse News. The Palm, the steakhouse that uh, came to Houston from New York in 1978, is moving. It will move from its current home on Westheimer to a new location downtown in the Green Street development. Um, Michael, we, we posted this article this week, and it has gotten some some pretty fast criticism from people who live in the neighborhood or who, uh, who've been palm regulars. They're, they're a little bit disappointed by this change. Um, and they're concerned that it sort of connect or disconnects the palm from its Briar Grove Tanglewood Memorial uh, regulars. Maybe they'll drive downtown. Maybe they won't. So let me just ask you, what do you, how do you sort of see the palm in the, in the steakhouse hierarchy? And, and does this seem like the right move for them? Well, I mean, they have an interesting history coming out of New York. It's a very, you know, it, they established themselves, I got 40, 50 years ago, as a very clubby kind of place. You know, the whole, uh, if you're not, if you've never been there, they usually have a wall of caricatures and it's of like their regulars, uh, you know, and the, the celebrities who've come there. The one in D.C., of course, was filled with, you know, lobbyists and politicians. Uh, the one in L.A., you know, which is star heaven, you know, really had its heyday. Uh, and that's Wayne's. Um, I think they're, you know, they started to lose money. And the big lawsuit that they had within the company uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, didn't go well, the bankruptcy. So now Tillman owns it. Uh, Landry's owns it. And I mean, he's bought up almost all the steakhouses and he certainly knows how to run a steakhouse. So um, he's putting it right around all the other ones he owns, Morton's and Vic and Anthony's. So I think actually if they're to survive, I think it's almost the, the right move. I don't, I mean, I can't speak to what their numbers are in the Briar Grove area, but I, I, you know, I get the idea that they're waning. I mean, then why would they move it otherwise if they were, unless they were solid? Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, you know, I, we have all these ambitious steakhouses that have kind of come into that area, you know, sort of from, if you basically, if you start at roughly at Fountain View and, and go East, right. You have, Pappas Brothers and then restaurants of the Galleria like Del Frisco's, you know, you go up, uh, you keep going into River Oaks district and you get, uh, you get steak 48. And then obviously there's uh master's has come into that market too. So a lot of competition in and around the Galleria, all of which probably are drawing a younger clientele than the Palm, which has been open since 1978. So, you know, start over downtown, a new look, I don't know if they're going to keep the caricatures or, or not, but, you know, certainly you're right. That's a big 
kind of part of their decor. Uh, and you, you know, you try to find a new, a new audience downtown. I mean, I think it's a, it'll be a challenge, but like you said, Landry certainly knows quite a bit about running steakhouses and they certainly wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think uh, there was opportunity there. So most of your business travelers are staying in the downtown area for the most part, and it is a national brand. So it has that kind of connection. And I mean, it could be, that's the dollar they're looking for. I mean, we all know steakhouses just keep opening really in every city. And you think this is enough and they all still seem to do well. I mean, it's a very kind of tried and true and safe concept. So, you know, we'll see. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, every time we say we have enough steakhouses, another one opens and, and right. we're like, Oh, you know, actually, actually I kind of like Doris Metropolitan or actually I, I kind of like Georgia James or, you know, just last week, Mary and I were talking about and iron the new steakhouse that the, the owners of the pit room and Candente are working on. And, and that sounds great too. So, you know, seemingly our, our collective uh, civic appetite for steak cannot be satiated. And uh, this will only, this will only contribute to that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, Houston's not as much a tourist traveled area. Um, I mean, there's people who come to visit family. So, but there is a lot of business with the oil and gas and, and other sectors. And, and that's, that's, let's face it. That's where the business meals happen. The, the, the the vast majority of them. Uh, And so that really capitalizes on that dollar. So I think from a, it seems like a pragmatic move to be sure. No, absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, the puttery which I'm describing as an adult-oriented mini-golf course that counts golfer Rory McIlroy as one of its investors, announced that it is coming to Sawyer Yards later this year. They say, you know, we always joke that three makes a trend. Uh, This is the third concept that's been announced in the last few months, joining Pop Stroke. That that is a mini-golf course affiliated with Tiger Woods. It's opening in Katy. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had an article about something called Putt Shack that's going to open uh, downtown at the shops at Houston Center. So I say all that to say to you, what's with all the freaking mini golf? Is this the new, is this the no, new entertainment trend? I have no idea. I mean, I know like Top Golf. if you look at TBC numbers on a monthly basis and who is just absolutely crushing it, you know, take away the strip clubs. It's like Top Golf is always right there. They just, the amount of alcohol that they sell uh, and people go there. The parties they have, they draw both genders. They draw people from all ages. They draw people who know nothing about golf. And so, you know, is it a success story? By and large, absolutely, on any meter that you you, you choose uh, to rate it. Uh, so is, I know, is putt-putt golf or miniature golf or whatever the generic term, is that the next thing? Uh, you know, boy, am I not qualified to make that any commentary on that because that just strikes me as bizarre. Uh, but who knows? I mean, is that something you engage in? Well, I, I can't say the last time that I, I couldn't tell you the last time I played mini golf, uh, you know, but I've also never had the opportunity to play mini golf while drinking cocktails. And of course, you know, they've upgraded the experience, right? These are indoor venues. They have, you know, top-notch lighting and sound. You know, the food is supposed to be better than kind of your run-of-the-mill fare. Now, I do think there is something to be said for these kind of interactive, experience-oriented venues. I mean, we just had, just last week, I had uh, Ryan Hildebrand and Efren Villarreal on from Palace Social, 
you know, which, you know, you and I went to, it's, you know, a modern bowling alley, arcade simulators, esports, And then on top of that, they have good food and good cocktails. So, and they've been busy essentially since the day they opened. I, and I do think that kind of speaks to kind of one aspect of modern dining, which is that, you know, wherever we go, we want, we want an experience. We want something to be memorable about it and, or we want it to be really cheap. I guess it's, it's one or the other. And so people will pay a premium if they feel like they're getting something special. And I, I think, you know, all of these, you know, sophisticated mini golf concepts are kind of speaking to that desire. I mean, I know with Sawyer Yards, you have no shortage of what we call A-list apartments. You know, these are one bedrooms that are pushing around $2,000 a month and more, um, you know, with 25 to 35 somethings with a certain amount of, you know, a concerted amount of disposable income, you're doing it indoors because it's Houston. You have to do that. And you're serving alcohol. So, uh, you know, these, you know, is that a weekend out? Is that a weekend, a weeknight out? I, you know, a diversion for a group of guys or a group of girls or both, uh, you know, uh, I guess that's what they're banking on. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I think putting it in sort of your yards makes a certain amount of sense because you have all those bars and nightclubs uh, lining Washington Avenue. And this is basically like a, you know, this could be a place where you start your evening, right? You start with mini golf, maybe you get a little food and then you, you know, you go on to whatever the next stop is. I think, I think from that aspect, the location makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I guess we know where we're booking your next birthday party. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, wouldn't miss it. (laughs) I am curious, but like I said, I, I, uh, I yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> no, I, I am too. And, and certainly, you know, as all these venues open, uh, there will be media events, you know, I'll be invited. I'll, I'll drag you or Matt Harris or one of the other co-hosts along and we'll report back. But, uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm intrigued and yeah, I, mean, I, I think it could be, I, it could be a lot of fun. There's obviously a lot of money behind this. And they're not like stupid people. They're not just like kind of randomly guessing like, this sounds like a good idea. I like it. You know, there's obviously a market for it. I just, I'm not, I'm not plugged into that. And, uh, and so uh, I'm curious for the experience in my own right. Yeah. Does the, does the Rory McIlroy tie do anything for you? Uh, I'm more of a tiger guy, but um, you know, uh, story yards is also closer to where I am. So location, location, location. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number four. The team behind Hungry's has announced that it is opening a new plant-based restaurant next to their memorial location. It is called Heartbeat. It has, it, it kind of builds on a lot of the plant-based food that, you know, the Mediterranean style stuff that they're known for. And, you know, the menu includes like uh euros, uh, ceviche that's made with uh, vegetables instead of fish chickpea penne and wild mushroom pasta, roasted beet poke bowls, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Michael, we've seen a lot more plant-based dining kind of coming into the market, you know, not just salad restaurants, but, but dedicated vegan concepts like uh, Verdine. What do you think? Is this uh, the right next step for Hungry's? Is this a, a good addition to the memorial area? 
I, I think it's a good location to do it. I mean, Hungary's has just absolutely crushed it, you know, in their, you know, rice village location. And so I would think that would give them a little latitude to maybe try a concept out. You know, it's not like in a, if this doesn't, you know, fly strong, you know, can they keep the space and turn it into another one of their concepts? Why not? Certainly that, that would be an option, but you know, they'll give it, you know, certainly the college try um, something that we all, or let's, let's say many of us like to mock and it's so easy to make fun of, you know, plant-based uh, you know, meat replacement and things like that. Things that were like certainly fringe uh, cuisines uh, or aspects of the industry, you know, a few decades ago are now front and center and, and the viable things. I mean, it, it, it just, it has to be said, I mean, 11 Madison went, you know, all vegetable went vegetarian, if not vegan for their 300 plus, you know, tasting option. And that was like a real loud boom across the industry. That's something, you know, a place that was a top 10 restaurant in the world. If you go by the, you know, the Pellegrino ratings uh, and certainly well-respected for them to do that. Uh, and, and for us to see this, you know, these items popping up on menus across Houston for, you know, and now other restaurants like that, that you've already mentioned uh, that are still thriving, you know? Uh, so I say, why not? Let, you know, let's go for it. Uh, and like I said, it's real easy especially me, a barbecue meat lover, the whole nine yards, I uh, can look at it and just, you know, uh, kind of laugh about it. But like, it, would I go there with an open mind and try the food? Absolutely. Because, you know, it's usually when I'm predisposed to not liking something that when I have it, it really turns me around. I've become a devotee. So let's see. Right. No, I, I agree with you. And, and certainly I hear from listeners to this podcast, followers on Instagram, culture map readers, uh, all of whom are, are increasingly interested in plant-based, you know, maybe not all the time, but maybe as an alternative to some of their regular dining habits. And of course, you know, dedicated vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians. And so, yeah, this is a, this is a growing segment of the, the dining public and it makes a lot of sense. I think Hungary's has credibility in that space just because Mediterranean food is so vegetable forward. And uh, yeah, I think this will be a, a nice fit for the area. Certainly, you know, family friendly, certainly affordable. And uh, yeah, in an area where I think people are going to be really interested in what they have to do. It also dovetails to a lot of, you know, I mean, we're diet obsessed also in this country. And so many, uh, you know, there, there's, there's literally a Mediterranean diet um, works in for that. And anybody who's done these diets knows how problematic it is to, to dine out in restaurants because, you know, the first order of business is butter, salt, sugar, you know, and meat to the nth degree. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a growing, like I said, a growing segment of our population and of the, of the dining public that, you know, wants more than just a single plate alternative at a restaurant. Uh, and they want it to be done with, you know, a certain quality, a certain, you know, as well as a value. So, Yeah. I, I think the time is right, and they're they're kind of going to be on the front of the wave of that. No, absolutely. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurant of the week, 
I want to talk to you about Georgia James Tavern. This is the new casual steakhouse from Chris Shepard. It is his first restaurant outside of Montrose. It is located in the Market Square Tower in the former Coterie space, but it looks absolutely nothing like Coterie. It's been given a, a completely uh, comprehensive makeover. Michael, let me just let me just throw it to you. I mean, you're kind of my my go-to for steakhouses. You've worked at steakhouses. You you and I eat at steakhouses from time to time. Uh, what did you think of Georgia James Tavern? Okay, I I really liked it. First of all, uh, I think an important aspect that that is worth you know pushing out there is to really temper everyone's what their expectations are. I looked at a couple online reviews of this and people being you know rather uh, upset, if you will. I mean, people get upset about the silliest things or or disappointed, you know, in some cases uh, about the size of the menu and the space and like it's a tavern, which means this is a place, it's a smaller place that specializes, you know, in a certain amount of alcohol sales. It's a bar um, that has tables that serves food, that has, serves elevated food. And that's an important thing to keep in, in mind that, first of all, it's a small place. I think we're looking at 13, 15 tables, you know, uh, mostly deuces, a couple of four tops. It's not the kind of place you're going to, you know, go with a party of 10. Um, it's not the kind of place you generally go with a big business meeting either. Um and then the menu itself fits that because their kitchen is only so big. So you're going to have only, you know, maybe five or six entrees, like, you know, five or six appetizers. You know, the, the wine list will be, uh, you know, there's only so much storage they have for wine. What I'm getting at is what the size of the place is and what that can be. And I think for what they say they are, we are a tavern. We are part of the, the Georgia James, Chris Shepard, you know, banner under that aegis. I think it, it, fits well with that and you know so it's a matter of i think people kind of going in and not expecting the grand you know sort of like the big georgia james uh steakhouse experience that this is a tavern place where you can get a quality meal you can have a great cocktail or a good beer or even a decent or or maybe an offbeat and well-valued you know bottle of wine and go from there no, I, I think that's extremely well said, and and I've been calling it a, a casual steakhouse, but but we should say, you know, it is a much more intimate bar forward. It's it's kind of on that line of, uh, you know, sort of bar with good food. You know, more it's more of a restaurant than I'd say a place like, um, you know, Better Luck Tomorrow or or some of these newer places that have opened up like, uh, Trash Panda Drinking Club and Night Shift. But it's less of certainly less of a restaurant than any of Chris's other concepts, uh, just because it's so small. I mean, I think it seats, you know, 50 or 60 inside, and then it's got maybe another half a dozen tables on the patio out front by the uh, by the driveway of the of the high rise. So, uh, you know, this is not it's not going to have the big the big menu of a steakhouse just because they, they like physically don't have the room to do it. Um, but I kind of liked that it was so intimate. I, I liked that it was um, smaller and, and I didn't mind the smaller menu because I feel like we had a, a ton of good choices. Uh, you know, we went with uh, their, uh, we got an order of the wings. We got their warm spinach salad. We got a, a appetizer, a potato special that was maybe not, uh, maybe not quite what we were expecting, but, and then we had the Gulf fish with the, uh, 
with the rice and the shrimp is our entree. And then we got, of course, we got the Texas Wagyu ribeye and their apple crumble for dessert. What were maybe your two or three favorites from what we tried? Well, the Wagyu ribeye, first off, uh, it was Snake River Farms. The quality was there. That had to be close to a 16-ounce ribeye. Uh, so for domestic Wagyu to be priced under $90 at that rate, which also comes with a side, you know, the potatoes with the little fried onions on it, that's a, you know, uh, it's going to sound absurd to say that's a good value, but that is a good value. I mean, one of the criticisms I've often heard about Georgia James is people feel like it's not a good value, even for a steakhouse, you know, that it only caters to, you know, sort of a rich elite crowd. I can tell you that this is, I think it's a, a very, I think it's a very aggressively priced uh, meaning that I think it's there was many good values on there while still maintaining, you know, the kind of quality that that Chris is known for. Uh, and that's, you know, a, a, that's actually a difficult little tightrope to walk. But I think they walked it well. And uh, our steak was cooked. You know, it came out exactly as we wanted, had nice char on it, had all the Maillard you want. You know, um, uh, the snapper we had, I thought, was just fine. Um, the service, you know, I would say one thing was excellent. You know, we were greeted right off the bat. Um, our server was excellent. Um, there was, you know, it's a small space so that you can always make eye contact with it. And one of the criticisms I have about servers sometimes is, um, you know, a lot, a lot is done just visually. And some servers and some people in the front of the house staff, they have this habit of kind of you get to this focused spot and they don't look up, you know, whereas, you know, diners, when they want something, they tilt their head up and they look. And if you look, if you, if you're cognizant of what's going on in the environment, you can communicate with your tables merely by looking at them and our server and the front of the house staff, they were constantly, they had their eye out on the whole area and it was swiveling so that they were really aware and ready to address anything, you know, and it wasn't just us. We weren't just getting the treatment. I saw the tables all around us all getting it. And that uh, I think is very heartening. Right. Now, now I should say we did get the treatment in the sense that uh, we were guests of the restaurant. And, and as it turned out, when we got there, you had worked previously with maybe three or four of the servers on the floor. So they, we, we certainly had their attention, but, but I agree with you. I mean, just observing the way that the, the tables around us were treated, I think that it's just a high level of service. And, and at a time when so many restaurants are understaffed and, and we sort of accept that that's the reality and that there's compromises that come with that uh, Georgia James Tavern really seemed to have plenty of people on the floor and, and a lot of uh, ability to sort of anticipate people's needs. And I thought that was, uh, that was really nice. Yeah. I mean, I would like, we once come back, like, what's the litmus test? Would you go back? And absolutely I would. Um, and like I said, I, like, I think it's important people, you know, have a sense of what they're getting into, um, you know, I mean, I'm always kind of shocked when people go, like, I always look at menus before I go there. I always do some kind of research uh, to have some kind of sense of expectation. Not that everyone has to do that, but like I said, once again, this is a tavern. You know, this is a the concept that you see more in the Northeast, certainly in Chicago and the Midwest, you know, these sort of tavern environments. Um, I mean, I think of Chris Shepard's friend, Billy Durney in Red Hook, you know, in Brooklyn, and he did, you know, open the, the Red Hook Tavern too much acclaim and yet it's like caesar salad you know and french onion soup and a burger and a steak you know it's tavern food uh, but you can you can really excel at doing things like that and you can make you know uh you can be popular and 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 do well 
And so I, I hope it does well because I like the whole tavern atmosphere. I like tavern atmospheres. Right. No. And, and I think, you know, we went kind of high end with uh, the Wagyu ribeye and the fish, but there is a more casual side of that menu. There's a club sandwich, there's a burger, there's a chicken sandwich. Um, and, and those are kind of designed, you know, as much for people in the tower who just want to get a casual dinner, uh, whether that's sitting at the bar on the patio or even, you know, to go and they take it upstairs to, to their apartment, but it is more affordable and you can go there more often and you, you don't have to commit to the $85 ribeye or even the, the $55 uh, butcher's cut special, which I, I think was uh, a Wagyu hanger, right? I think that's what we. Uh, yeah, it was the hang- it was a hanger steak. That's right. Yeah. The other thing that, that struck me there was the spinach salad, you know, something that was kind of like, that sprouted out of the 1980s and then disappeared. And now, you know, it's come back and, you know, uh, it was usually like a spinach that was just dripping in, you know, bacon and bacon fat. And uh, if you look at it, it almost looks like it's overdressed, you know, which is a, you know, certainly a common criticism of salads as uh, across the board, you know, at different restaurants uh, from many of us. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it was perfectly dressed. It was great. It was like, it had enough. It wasn't too much. It was really well balanced. There wasn't too much salt. You know, I was like, wow, something so simple, something in some ways antiquated has been brought to new life. And that's, uh, that's encouraging. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I had that spinach salad when they did the, the Georgia James Tavern pop-up sort of preview at one fifth. Uh, it was a highlight of that meal. It was a highlight of our dinner. That that warm bacon dressing really just kind of ties all those ingredients together. I wouldn't have gotten it if you hadn't if you hadn't said, "Hey, we have to try this," and you were you know, spot on. Well, you know, sometimes it's like I do this for a living. <laughs> lucky, lucky guess, lucky guess. Um, yeah. You know, and they'll get tighter on on service times and things like that. You know, so I think I think it's a good start for them. Right, which sort of leads me to the question: we can we can use that as the the point at which to wrap this up, but, you know, to me, this seems like the first uh, concept from Chris Shepard that really could grow. Um, and maybe, maybe they could do uh, a few of them. Do you, uh, do you feel like Georgia James Tavern has the potential to be uh, maybe a few of them scattered around the Houston area? Hmm. Well, that one works because it's in the tower, it's downtown and you could have that tight space. Um I would almost think that if they did it somewhere else, they'd have to have, you know, more tables, a bigger area. You know, I'm not talking like a huge place, but something bigger. Could they replicate it? Sure they could. He certainly has developed a name and and could it expand maybe even outside the loop? I don't know. We'll see. Ooh, I don't know. That that might be a hard to imagine, hard to imagine a Chris Shepard restaurant outside the loop, but, but <laughs> if they're, you know, did his business partner recently purchase a property in Spring Branch? Yes, he did. Could there potentially maybe down the road be a Georgia James Tavern on as part of that development? I mean, any anything's possible. Nothing, nothing set in stone. And and I I'm certainly not reporting that. I'm just saying that if they were to do that, it would not entirely surprise me. Mm. Okay. All right. Michael, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. Take care, my friend. Thank you. And that does it for this week's show. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.